If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to the book of Genesis. And we'll be in Genesis chapter 30, and we're going to bleed into chapter 31. I was trying to come up with an illustration this morning. This is the best I've got for you. Uh, there are some things where it's easier, it's better to, to not struggle, and it, things will go better for you if you don't push against things. I don't know if this is true, but from all of the um, things I've seen in Hollywood or maybe read in books, if you ever get stuck in quicksand, you don't want to struggle because you'll go deeper and deeper. Is that, I don't know, has anyone been stuck in quicksand? Can give a testimony about that. But from what I know, Jed, were you nodding? No? I thought you were saying yes, you had. Okay. <laughs> uh, but if, if we keep fighting, we'll actually get ourselves deeper and deeper into the problem. And, and the reason I say that is, is I think what Jacob is doing, Jacob is a guy who just does things. He's a, he's a doer. And when he gets stuck in a situation, he deals with it by doing something about it. Um, for most of his life, he seems to have been able to do what needs to be done to get what needs to be gotten or to get out of the places that he needs to get out of. But I think today he finds himself in a situation that no matter what he does, he can't control it. Um, He tries to bend everything to his will and to his advantage, but in the end it takes God coming to him, delivering him, and then saying to him, I did this, you didn't, Jacob. And it becomes this turning point in his life. The main idea I want to take from Psalm 4610, which we read this morning, is just this, cease striving and know that I am God. I think that's what God would say to us this morning. Cease striving. It's that be still and know that I am God. That's a familiar phrase, but I think that's what God is teaching to Jacob and what he would be teaching to us. For many of us, we want to be in control, right? Um, I want to solve all of the issues in my life. We want to defeat all of our enemies. We want, to, we want to work hard. We want to take matters into our own hands. We often live by the motto, if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. And so I'm going to do it because that's how it's going to get done right. But God, in a sense, comes to us and says, not don't ever work and don't work hard, but rather he says, cease striving and know that I am God. Come to me. Trust me. And as we think on this scene in Jacob's life, I think we're going to see that idea. And then we'll see two points. We're going to get to these points eventually. I'll give them to you now, and you'll, they'll show up in the, like the last third of the message. But the first one would be God sees our affliction and delivers us. And the second is God reminds us of our allegiances and turns us. So you'll hear those again. God sees our affliction and he delivers us. God reminds us of our allegiances and he turns us. So we'll eventually get to those ideas. But for now, we need to read about this in the story of Jacob's life and we need to walk through it um, and think about what's going on. So we just read in Genesis um, 30 that uh, this is sort of the end of what we would call the birth wars between Leah and Rachel and and um, and their servants. And, and Jacob's family has gone from zero to 12 in a very short period of time. And so now we we find this, we pick up the story here in Genesis 30, starting in verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for, you know, the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. 
Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look at my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good. Let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred, when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth stripes, speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. That's your lesson in in the breeding of sheep and goats for the morning, okay? So now we're going to move into something a little different here in chapter 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with the favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God came to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us. And he has indeed devoured our money. 
All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. All right. Where are we going to go with this, right? Remember, our main idea, cease striving and know that I am God. Again, we watched last week as God blessed Jacob and Leah and Rachel with children. He filled their home with 12 children, 11 uh, boys, one girl, maybe more girls. Uh, Dinah's mentioned specifically because she's going to show up later in the narrative. Um, but after the birth of Joseph, after and after those 14 years, remember, that he's labored for Laban, um, Jacob comes to his father-in-law and he says, it's time for me to go home. I want to go back to my father's country. He wants to take his wives and his children and go back to the country of his birth, to, the, to his father Isaac. And we're not really told initially why, um, beyond his desire for independence that we're going to see a little bit later. I'm sure Jacob was just homesick. Uh, he was ready to go back to the land that he knew that he had lived in for 70 plus years. But Laban resists Jacob leaving. And his reasoning isn't because he loves his children or because he loves his grandchildren, or his desire to sort of be a partner with Jacob, what's he say? He says it's because Jacob's presence has brought blessing to him. It's, it's selfishness. Laban has learned through divination, through some sort of false worship, he has learned something that's true. Uh, and the true thing is that God was blessing him because of Jacob. This often happens in Scripture. We see that God's blessing is on his people, and it extends to those that are near his people. That they, even if they're not worshiping the same God, often receive the blessing of God's people. And so Laban is unwilling to lose his lucky charm, which is Jacob. And so he says, what will your wages be? Name your wages. Remember the last time that Laban said that? Uh, Jacob asked for a wife. And what was the result of that? Jacob was tricked. And so we're all sort of yelling at the page, don't listen to him. Don't, don't make any deals with Laban. Jacob, of course, no longer needs a wife. He has four. <laughs> what he wants now is he wants to provide for his own family. He wants to, to build his own wealth. Jacob acknowledges that, that Laban has been blessed by the Lord because of him. But he wants to know when he is going to be able to provide for his family. When is he able, going to be able to build up his own household? He's building up all of these flocks and these herds for Laban that he will never see. And so he says, I'm getting old, and I, I need to start supporting my own family and building up my own wealth rather than just building your wealth. So Laban says, okay, what can I give you, Jacob? Now, Jacob is not a guy. You, you see that there. He says, he says what can I, I, I just, when I read it, um, it, it says here, uh, verse 31, he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. I sort of hear in Jacob this this, listen, I don't take a handout from anyone. Nobody gives me anything. I work hard and I earn, whether by hook or by crook, I get my own stuff. Anything that comes to me, I've gotten on my own. And so he says to, to Laban, you're not going to give me anything. Let's cut a deal. 
Of course, Laban is not a guy to cut deals with, is he? You can only trust Laban as far as you can throw him. But the same is true for Jacob, right? I mean, Jacob is conniving. He's a deceiver. You can't really trust him. They both have this track record for being untrustworthy, and they're about to add to their resume in this whole scene. Uh, It's hard to see some of the details of what's going on with who's getting what sheep. Um, But the long and the short of it is that that Jacob says he wants to lay claim to all of the sheep uh, and the goats that are speckled, spotted, or, or black. So this would have been some small percentage of, of the flock. So we would assume that the majority are, are white, and, and that's, that, that's what makes up the bulk of this, this herd, and some small group would have been what Jacob wants, so this small percentage. But Jacob has some sort of a plan. Uh, Laban hears this, and he says, that sounds good, and he comes up with his own plan. So the same day that they sort of shake hands on the deal, Laban takes all of the, the sheep that, that have any sort of speck or, or spot or stripe, and he gets them out, and he takes them, did you see how far away? Three miles, which is a good distance to drive some sheep, and he puts them in the charge of his sons, and his sons are going to do everything they can to protect their their flock, because this is their inheritance. Um, and so that, that's sort of how Laban deals with the situation. You don't need to know much about genetics or animal breeding to understand that, that having speckled and spotted and black sheep or goats from a flock that is pure white would be difficult. Um, it's not impossible, but it's not probable. That'd be like Andrew and I having a bunch of children with red hair. It's possible, but it's not probable. And so something's going to have to happen in here. Um, Jacob is sort of at a disadvantage, but he has a plan, and it's partly based on fact and partly based on superstition. Uh, he understands this principle of breeding strong with strong is going to bring forth strong. Like that's That makes sense, right? We put the two strongest together, we're going to have strong offspring. The, the superstition part sort of comes in with these, these sticks. Uh, we're going to put the strong sheep together, and then we're going to make them look at sticks that I have shaved to have stripes on them. The thought in the ancient culture was that, that this vision, while these goats or sheep were mating, that, that when they were together... Um, that this vision that they would have while mating would make some sort of an imprint on the embryo, on the offspring, and that that would have some sort of result for them. It, I don't think so. It, probably not. Um, but they have, were trusting, so, so Jacob is sort of trusting in these, these sticks. As best I can tell, that's, that's superstition. These sticks have absolutely nothing to do with what kind of sheep or goats are going to be born. And they don't, they don't influence the sheep or the goats, and they don't influence God either. Just take this thought. God doesn't, God doesn't respond to superstition, you know? You can't twist God's arm with certain things. So if I say something and I don't want it to happen and I knock on wood, it doesn't do anything. It has no – I used to do that all the time, and I stopped because I said, I'm not superstitious. I don't believe in superstition. Knocking on wood doesn't keep something from coming true. Pennies aren't lucky, neither are rabbit's feet. If you walk under a ladder, it's not dangerous to you. It might be dangerous if someone is on top of the ladder and you're walking underneath it, but it's not going to give you bad luck. Black cats don't ruin our days. My kids open umbrellas in our house all the time. Uh, They've probably done it on Friday the 13th, and the only threat is that someone's going to get poked in the eye. There's nothing else that's going to happen. Superstition, we're filled with this in our lives, but superstition is for people who don't trust in a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, loving God. 
It's for people who are like, it could be for people like Jacob, though, who have forgotten that they serve this God. So just, just sort of a side note here. Don't fall into superstition. Don't trust old wives' tales and tricks. We trust in a sovereign God. I don't need to trust in whether or not there's something around for me to knock on. I can trust in God's sovereign control. But you might say, well, it worked for Jacob, right? Didn't it work? Because we find at the end of the story, he leaves Padan Aram, and, and he leaves with this huge flock of speckled and spotted and striped sheep and goats. But one of the first rules of statistics is that correlation does not always equal causation. So just because that's what happened doesn't mean that that's why it happened. I could show you tons of graphs that have correlations. I looked up some of them. There's, there's these great, if you want to look up, just type in to Google, correlation does not equal causation. The one that I found that I thought was pretty funny was the, the number of letters in the winning word for the Scripps National Spelling Bee corresponds and correlates to the number of people killed by venomous spiders every year. So in other words, if the, the winning word is 10 letters long, then about that many people will be killed by a venomous spider, and you can watch the, the scale. Now, does that word length have anything to do with venomous spiders? No, the correlation doesn't mean that that's what causes it. And the same thing here. Jacob is, is striving with these sticks. He's trying to do what he thinks. But I don't think those sticks have anything to do with the sheep and the goats that are born to him. Jacob is striving, but he should have been learning to trust. He should have been being still and knowing that God was God. So all this wheeling and the dealing at the end of, of chapter 30, it's superstitious, and it sort of sets us up for chapter 31 and God's word that comes to Jacob and to his family. The end result of this word is going to be that we saw that Jacob and his family and all his flocks and everything that they own, they leave Padan Aram and they head to the land of Israel. That's what's going to happen. And, and there are a couple factors that lead up to that. One is the anger of Laban and his sons. So why does Jacob finally leave? The first thing that we see is the anger of Laban and his sons. That's the beginning of, of chapter 31. Jacob hears that the sons of Laban are saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Laban's not too happy either. Laban's not regarding Jacob with, with any favor. So Laban's sons are watching as sheep after sheep and goat after goat is born strong and striped. And it goes into Jacob's flock. They saw the most beautiful of the livestock absorbed into Jacob's possession. And they're watching helplessly as Jacob in their eyes steals everything that's theirs. They're like Esau. Jacob tricks them and their blood gets boiling because they are so angry about the blessing that's coming to him. You remember Jacob's father? How was Jacob's father blessed in the desert? Wells. He'd just dig wells and everywhere he dug, he got water. How is, is Jacob blessed? He's blessed with sheep and with goats. And, and you remember that all those wells made Isaac a stench to the people of the land. They didn't like him. The same things happens here with, with Jacob. The anger of, of his brother-in-laws comes up against him. And just as the anger of his brother had driven him out of Canaan, now the anger of his brother-in-laws is going to drive him back into Canaan. Has Jacob done anything wrong? Not really, I don't think. I mean, he, he certainly is trying to manipulate this breeding process, and he's a little faithless, but it doesn't appear that he's done anything wrong. 
But as we've seen, the blessing of God on our lives can often bring the anger of others. So why is Jacob leaving? He's leaving in part because of the the anger of, of Laban and his sons. But the other reason is the word of the Lord. So the word of the Lord comes to Jacob. There's a brief summary in verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. The word of the Lord, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. That's sort of the summary statement. And he's going to explain that further in verses 4 through 13. So we see him. He calls Rachel and Leah out to the field where all of his flocks are. I wish I could sort of paint this picture. You know, what was that, that like? There's this, this family that had been so full of bitterness and anger, and there seems to be some sort of peace now between Leah and Rachel, and they, they come out to this field, um, and Jacob is there. Maybe it's, I don't know, I just imagine maybe it's evening and the sun is setting, the, the heat of the day has passed. Are they sitting? Are they standing? Wherever they're at, they're having this, this discussion, and they're doing it away from the ears of Laban um, and his sons. And Jacob has something to tell them. It's, it's sort of this tender scene. I think it's a great example of seeking counsel from, from those closest to you. Jacob is, is the head of this home, as it were. But the fact that Rachel and Leah, at the end, they offer their thoughts. They say, yeah, we think this is a good idea. I think indicates that, that Jacob's bringing them out to say, what do you guys think about this? Um, it reminds me that we shouldn't presume to make decisions on our own about what is the best thing to do in a circumstance. It may be crystal clear, but it's still good to find those that are closest to us, especially if they're going to be affected by that decision, and to say, am I seeing this clearly? Do do you agree with what we're going to do? I'm ready to take all of us and to leave this land. Are you guys ready for that? Do you think that this is where we're at? So Jacob points out the anger of Laban right at the beginning, but then he moves quickly on to the word of the Lord, to God's presence with and his blessing of him. You know, God's will... Just because things are difficult doesn't mean that God wants you to get out of that situation. Sometimes the will of the Lord puts us into difficult situations. And pain and opposition are not always a sign that God wants us to move on. It may be that he's shaping us more into his His image. But he has this unrest because of everything that's going on within the family. And then the word of the Lord is very clear to him. I think this chapter is a big turning point in the life of Jacob. There's a change that's going on in this guy. He's been running from God and fighting against God. And he tells Rachel and Leah how despite all of his faithful hard work, their father has tried to cheat him out of his wages. We learn in this that that Laban had changed the wages. How many times does it say? Ten times. So they had shook on this deal and Laban changed the deal ten times. Now, there's some sort of period of time when these... uh, before the goats and the sheep are born. And so Jacob can't manipulate that. If he changes it in the middle when, when he's got sheep and that are that are pregnant, he can't do anything about that, right? And so it, it's sort of things are spinning out of his control. His herds are increasing. Jacob keeps changing the rules. Jacob's like, you know, that kid that you used to play with and when you would beat him, he just changed the rules. You know, let's do best two out of three. And you win two. And so he says, well, let's do best, best out of five, you know. And then he says, all right, next touchdown wins. And you're beating him by 100 or something like that. You know, that's sort of what Laban is. He's just like, I'm losing, so I'll just change all the rules. So I get what I want. But every time he changes the rules, he gets, he gets beaten. No matter how many times he changes the rules, Jacob keeps racking up sheep on the scoreboard, as it were. And Jacob knew it. And he, and he says to his watch, he says, I keep having 
we keep getting the sheep because I'm so good. I shave these, these sticks just perfectly. And that's why we're having all these sheep. Is that what he says? That's what he thought at the beginning. But what's he say here? He says in verse 9, Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given it to me. He finally sees that, that God is the one who is doing this. It's, it's not him. It's, it's not the sticks that are bringing him favor. It's not his ingenuity. It's not his, his know-how. No, God has done this. Jacob had gotten himself into a situation that he could no longer control. He was able to control everything up to that point. But now he can't, and he sees that God is the one who is blessing him. God grabbed a hold of Jacob, who was always striving. He was always conniving. He was always hustling. He was always scheming. And he says, I see what's happening, and I will deliver you. I think that's one of the words this morning. As we think about cease striving and know that I am God, we see that God sees our affliction and delivers us. God sees what's going on. He sees our affliction and he delivers us. I think it comes out even more as he shares this dream that he has. In this dream, he sees all of the striped and the spotted and the mottled sheep. And God says, do you see all these sheep and these goats, Jacob? Do you know why this is happening? In a sense, is saying, it's not because the sheep see all of your silly little sticks it's because I see you, and I see Laban, and I know what's going on. I know that he's deceiving you. I know that he's lying, and I have chosen to bless you. This is a wonderful theme throughout Scripture, and especially in Genesis, that God sees us, and he delivers us. He sees Noah. He sees Hagar. He sees Leah. He sees Jacob. What we read in, in Exodus 3 is that God saw the children of Israel, who this book was written to. From what we know, that this book would have been delivered to the children of Israel as they're on the plains of Moab, getting ready to enter into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And they read a story in Genesis 31, which wouldn't have been Genesis 31, but they read this story about, about a man who had been enslaved in a foreign land, just as they had been enslaved in Egypt. They hear about how he increased in that land, both in, in size um, and his, his, his family increased and his wealth increased despite these ten attempts to harm him. It just reminds them maybe of what they went through in Egypt, that, that underneath the oppression of Pharaoh, they increased. And, and the ten plagues came and they continued to increase. They see how he, Jacob wants to leave and he's kept from leaving by Laban, just as they were kept from leaving by Pharaoh. And they watch as God in his mercy delivers Jacob. The children of Israel had been in Egypt, they'd been enslaved, they'd been deceived, they'd been taken, care, taken advantage of, but God heard them. He saw them, he delivered them from their enemies, he delivered them from Pharaoh. And as they came out, they, they plundered the Egyptians when they left, just like Jacob is about to do. We'll see later on that the Egyptians, remember, they pursued uh, the Israelites all the way to the Red Sea. And in the same sense, Laban is going to pursue Jacob, he's not going to let him leave that easily. But God makes a mockery of their gods. He delivers his children. He leads them into the promised land. I think this is encouraging for the people of Israel in that in the midst of their difficulty, as they are on Jordan's stormy banks, like we sang, getting ready to enter into the promised land, God is reminding them, I am with you. Just like I am the God of Jacob and I am your God. The God of, they, would, they would just look at one of them and say, the God of Jacob who was with them is our God. The God of the Exodus is our God. We will, we will conquer God sees our affliction, and he will deliver us. 
And this is our God. He's, we, our God sees our affliction. He delivers us in everyday life. He knows the pain that we're going through, and he's able to deliver us from that. He's also a God, though, who sees us in our sin. He sees us enslaved to the world. He sees us enslaved to our flesh and to the devil. He hears our cries, and he delivers us. Just like in the Exodus, he delivers us through the blood of the Lamb. This is what Titus 3, this is how Titus 3 puts it. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of our conniving and our scheming, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Colossians 1.13 says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. It's this time of year that the Jewish people are celebrating Passover. And we hold on to this wonderful truth that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus, his blood saves us from slavery and from death. He delivers us. He is our exodus, delivers us from our enemies, and will take us to the promised land. He's sent from the Father to us in our sin, and through his death and his resurrection, he frees us from the power and the penalty of sin. He gives us new life and he gives us hope. And we still live in a world of sin, don't we? I mean, we live in a world where we have enemies, where people are trying to deceive us and harm us. But God sees us and he will deliver us. Not because of our own striving and our own conniving and the way that we know how to shave sticks just right or because of our superstition, but because of his grace. Luther writes in, his, in A Mighty Fortress, he says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. God has delivered us, and he will deliver us. God sees our affliction and deliver us. And then even within that process, the second thing is God reminds us of our allegiances and turns us. He reminds us of our allegiances and turns us. So right after God shows Jacob that he is the one who is blessing him, that God has seen his affliction and delivered him. God takes Jacob back 20 years. Look at what happens there. It says in, in, in verse 12, he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Then verse 13, I am the God of Bethel. I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of of your kindred. Now we talked about Bethel weeks ago, but it's been 20 years since Jacob was at Bethel. He was a single, unmarried, prideful man on the run from his brother. 20 years is a long time. I mean, where were you 20 years ago? Some of you didn't exist 20 years ago. I was 14 20 years ago. I'd rather not think about who I was. It's embarrassing, you know. <laughs> Jacob has changed a lot in 20 years. Think about all that he's gone through in that course of time. So God calls Jacob to go back in his mind to this place where he had promised, God had promised that he would bless him, that he would multiply him, that he would make him 
a blessing. This place where Jacob vowed and said, God, if you'll do all of that, if you'll do everything that you say you're going to do, I'll be your, you will be my God. I will, I will follow you. I will listen to what you say. And so God says to Jacob, as it were, he says, I'm the God of Bethel. Do you remember my words, Jacob? You remember the stairway? You remember that whole thing? You remember the, the pillar that you made out of your pillow? Uh, do you remember your vow? Now, God would say to Jacob, as it were, look at all your, your wives, look at all of your children, look at all of your flocks and all of your possessions. I have done exactly what I told you I would do. I prospered you. I have blessed you. I have given you everything that I said I would. And now it's your turn. You need to do what you said you would do. You need to fulfill your vow. And God, as it were, says, get up, get out of here, and go home like you said you would and like I told you to. You can almost hear Jacob, or, or God asking Jacob the same question he's going to ask Elijah later on. I love the question that God asks Elijah. You remember when he's hiding out, um, he's scared of, 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 of Jezebel, and God comes to him in the still small voice. Do you remember what God says to him? He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> I almost feel like that's what God's saying to Jacob. Why are you still here, Jacob? It's time to go. 20 years is long enough. Go home. I've used the illustration before, but it's been years ago, so I get to do it again. Uh, but Jacob reminds me of Simba, if you've ever seen The Lion King. Maybe you have. I, I, there's a beautiful picture in that. If, I promise, if you read it and you look at it with different eyes, you'll see it. But but Simba's a, a, a lion, a lion cub, and his father is, is the great king, Mufasa. Remember him? But as this young cub, out of uh, fear and neglect and laziness, he leaves this land of his father where he's supposed to be in control. He leaves and he forfeits the throne and he finds himself in some other land. And you remember he learns how to eat bugs. He hangs out with some warthog and, and then this other animal, Timon and Pumbaa, you remember, and they sing songs together. And it's here that, uh, that Simba sort of grows up. And this is where he gets real comfortable. This is where he lives. And yet it's so far from where he's supposed to be. And at some point this baboon, Rafiki, comes, who's quite the character. And he comes, and his role is to remind Simba who he really was, that he's the son of a king, and he doesn't belong in this land anymore. Simba had forgotten who he was, and Rafiki takes him sort of to this pool and says, look down at your reflection. And all that, that Simba sees is, is who he is. He just sees who he had become and how he had failed in all these different ways. And Rafiki says, you need to look a little bit harder. And he looks, and suddenly his reflection changes. And he sees the reflection of his father, Mufasa. And he's reminded of who he really is, and he's spurred to leave that place and to go home and be who he was intended to be. And I think that's what God is saying to Jacob. Here. He says, this is who you really are, and this is not where you belong. It's time to go home. You're not a slave to Laban. You don't belong in this land. You're a son of the promise, and you belong in the land of promise. Jacob had forgotten his vow. He had forgotten who he really was and what he had said he would do. I mean, all these things that happened in Jacob's life just sort of made things fade. Moving, taking a new job, having kids, building wealth, all the events of life, they, they become distracting. They're good, they're blessings, but they become distracting to us. They were for Jacob. You know, we start looking at our lives and we look at our schoolwork 
Can we look at our yard work? Can we look at our housework? Can we look at our work work? Can we look at our workouts? And we get so consumed with all of this stuff that we forget what we're really supposed to do and what our focus is supposed to be. We go through life just doing what needs to be done, surviving by our own wit and by our own wisdom. We think that we are the ones that are bringing blessing into our lives, that we are caring for ourselves. But I think what God does for Jacob here, his word is supposed to do for us. That it's supposed to open our eyes to see, listen, if we have blessing, it's because God has given it to us. All we're doing, if we think that we're getting blessing, listen, the way that you and I get blessing is by doing silly things like shaving sticks and holding them in front of sheep while they mate and thinking, that's how I'm blessed. If we have anything good, it is because of the grace of God that he has given to us. And we need, if you, if you go back to the illustration, we need Rafiki to come and sort of smack us on the head and say, listen, wake up. If you are blessed, it's because God has blessed you. He's the one that has delivered us. And not only that, but he is the one that we have made a vow to. If we are a Christian, we have said that Jesus is not only our Savior, but he is our Lord. He is in control. And we are to follow him. You know, we might return, as it were, to the Bethels of our lives, these times where we were filled with a love for God, with clarity about his grace and his goodness and his blessing to us. And we were filled with zeal. I mean, we all have those moments, right, where where we said, I am ready to to walk with God fully. It may be even just the moment of your salvation where where you finally understood who you were and that God saved you and you said, "I'm, I'm ready to follow after God. We need to go back to those places. It might be 20 years ago. And they say, you know what? I've just sort of drifted. And I seem to think that I've got this all figured out. But God is the one that's blessed me. And, and I, I've, I've committed my life to him and to walking in, in his ways. So we would turn. We would renew our allegiances to God who has heard us and been with us. You know, maybe we would pause and see how far our Father has brought us. That everything that we have, everything that's good in our lives is, is a gift of his grace that he's done everything that he said he would he promised that he would bless us he promised he would be with us and he has he's fulfilled every promise and again i love how jacob brings rachel and leah in on this decision he brings others in on the recollection rachel and leah they hear all of this they're surrounded by all these sheep in the middle of this field and they say you know what god has done it they they agree with him they say they're um In verse 16, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. They affirm Jacob's understanding of the situation and they encourage him. Yeah, let's do this. They tell him to do what God says he should do. I think often we get to these places where we say, you know what? I see, I'm I'm just, I understand that God's hand of blessing and I need to renew these allegiances. And we say, I'm going to do it by myself. I think that's foolish. I think we need to bring others in so that they see what's going on. That's the beauty of the church, that they would call us to walk more closely with the Lord. We need others to, to confirm God's word, but also to walk with us on this this journey. You know, So maybe we need to gather our families together today. Say, look, God has been with us. God has blessed us in all these ways. Let's follow him fully. Let, let's, let's walk with him with all, and serve him with all our hearts and souls and minds and strength. Maybe you need to just plan to have coffee with someone and say, listen, I'm just thinking about, I've just sort of gotten distracted by all these things. I I seem to think that I've 
brought all this blessing into my life, but it's the hand of God, and I, I need to walk with him more fully. I need to, but let's make a plan together. How am I going to walk with and serve God? I, I love this chapter because I just, Jacob is turning. He, he's stopping fighting. He's stopping wrestling, as it were. Well, not totally. He's on the journey, though, isn't he? Remember, cease striving, know that I am God. Are you in trouble? Are you in difficulty, in pain, in affliction? God sees your affliction, and he will deliver you. Are you still in your sin? Are you under the wrath of God? He will deliver you from the power of sin and death through faith in Christ. Are you, are you committed to other things or striving to do everything on your own? Have you lost sight of the fact that, that you had given your full allegiance to Christ? We need to turn. We need to return to him and serve him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. As I said, there's more on this journey for Jacob. We're going to see a confrontation with Laban. We're going to see a wrestling match with God. And we're going to see a ton more issues within Jacob's family. But here's what Jacob is doing. He's heading in the right direction. He's not perfect. And none of us are. But he's going in the right direction. So that I guess that's the question I want to close with is, how, how about us? You know, we don't need to be perfect. We don't have to have everything solved in our lives. But are we heading in the right direction? Are we, are we stuck in these places where we're trying to figure it out on our own and we're just fighting with other people? Or have we finally said, you know what? I'm going to cease striving. I'm going to stop fighting with all of this stuff and know that God is God and I'm going to head back to the place that he wants me to go. Are we headed in the right direction? Let me close this in prayer. Lord God, it'd be so easy to just point a finger at Jacob and see how foolish he is. But he is he is us. And um, I would open our eyes to see that. Open our eyes to see how any good thing we have is, is from your hand. Help us to see, Lord, that we have committed our lives and our souls to you. We get so easily distracted, but Lord, help us to be heading in the right direction. Help us to be walking with you, to, to gather others around us that would say, let's walk this together. Lord, I pray you would renew our zeal for you. You would give us a, a fresh passion and desire to be committed to you with all that we are. Thank you that you are the God of Jacob and that you are our God. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.